Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Stories of S's. We are so glad you're listening to us today. I'm Gabby. And I'm Daniel. I hope you're having a good time. And we're your hosts. Thank you for listening. We've had a great week getting some amazing new things, and we hope you have too. We have been getting really into the holiday season, getting cozy and snuggly and just having a great time. We already bought a Christmas tree and some stuff to hang on it. So yeah, we are all set. And we watched the Polar Express the other day. Well, I watched and Daniel... I rested. Slept through it. He cannot get through a movie without falling asleep. Uh... And we also went to the coffee shop a couple of times this week. It's our spot now. We are finally getting recognized by our baristas, which we don't know if it's a good thing or or not, but they know our usual and they know what color mugs we like. Very true. And I mean, they greet us, so we are all set. We accomplished something. Yeah, and you guys know that we'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Anyways, thank you guys all so much for tuning in. And let's get started. This week, we're talking about one of my favorite stories by one of my favorite authors and one of the greatest authors of all times, Toni Morrison. Denny, what do you know about Toni Morrison? Just like off the top of your head. Uh, not too much. I know about her because of the um, short story that I read that she wrote and what i understood is that she passed away i think like four years ago and she, yeah in 2019 so she was probably living like or growing up like in the 40s or 50s i would guess um but that's just like on from the top of my head and she has been very active when it comes to racial identity and the american history and put those topics into her writing and she did a couple of books i think it was 11 and only one short story yeah which we are talking about today this week's resources are the newyorker.com amuse.jhu.edu that's from john hopkins university uh, sisters separated for much too long women's friendship and power in tony morrison's recitative by Susanna Morris and A Girl from a Whole Other Race, Toni Morrison's Recitative Beloved and Paradise in Women and Race in Contemporary U.S. Writing by K.L. Reams and the New York Times. And just so you guys know, we will be adding the link to the full short story on our story notes. Let's start with the author. Who is Toni Morrison? I know Danny gave us a bit of a rundown earlier, um, but let's get into a little bit more of the details. Toni Morrison, born Chloe Ardelia Wolford on February 18, 1931, in Lorraine, Ohio, was an American novelist, editor, and professor. She was a significant figure in contemporary American literature, renowned for her exploration of African American experiences, identity, and the complexities of race and gender. Morrison grew up in a working class family and developed an early love for literature after earning a bachelor's degree in English from Howard University, which is a historical HBCU, historical black college. 
and she went on to pursue a master's degree at Cornell University. In the 1960s, she worked as an editor for Random House, where she played a vital role in promoting African-American literature. And her literary career took off with the publication of her first novel, The Bluest Eye, in 1970, which Daniel and I talked about a couple years ago, and he didn't know it until we had a conversation about it the other day, where I said, yeah, we've actually talked about one of her stories. Um, he didn't know. Now he does. And The Bluest Eye followed by works like Sula in 1920, 1973, sorry, and Song of Solomon in 1977, which garnered critical acclaimed. However, it was beloved in 1987, inspired by the true story of Margaret Garner, a runaway slave, that brought Morrison widespread recognition and won her the Pulitzer Prize for fiction. Toni Morrison continued to produce influential works such as Jazz in 1992, Paradise in 1997, and Mercy in and A Mercy in 2008, solidifying her reputation as a literary icon. In 1993, she became the first African American woman to be awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature recognizing her novels characterized by visionary force and poetic import, giving life to an essential aspect of American reality. Aside from her writing, Morrison was a dedicated educator, teaching in institutions like Princeton University. Her impact extended beyond literature, shaping discussions on race, history, and culture. Sadly, Toni Morrison passed away on August 5th, 2019, leaving behind a legacy of profound storytelling and a commitment to exploring the complexities of the human experience. Her impact extended beyond literature, earning her numerous accolades, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And Morrison's storytelling, rooted in African-American experience, left a wonderful mark on American literature and culture. And I think Danny can attest to that. I actually really can. I read first time ever today, um, not today, yesterday actually, um, the short story that she um, wrote, which is already over 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And it is written really nicely. Like You can digest it very well. And it's written from the point of a character and the character characteristics and the age and the language itself is all reflected in how she is writing this person's view out in the story. And it's it's just nice. It's really lovely to read. Yeah. And what's really great is hearing that from someone who wasn't raised in the U.S., wasn't raised on knowing who Toni Morrison is. You know, if you guys don't know, Daniel's from Germany. And um, Toni Morrison is not a author that you guys know very well yet, um, but she is beloved here and she is one of the great American writers that we read in schools and in high school and college. So I'm so glad we got to share that with you. I agree. She's not present in the German education system, but also the German history is very different from the American one. So... I guess that's fine. Today we're diving deep into the world of Toni Morrison's short story, Recitative, which 
is her one and only short story. This masterful piece takes us on a journey through identity, race, and my favorite aspect of the story is the intricate dance of female perspectives. And I am so glad that I get to share this with you, Danny, and also with our listeners. It's going to be really cool. Stay tuned. <laughs> so now, now, Recitative is a unique narrative that challenges traditional storytelling conventions. It centers around two main characters, Twyla and Roberta, who forge an unlikely friendship in an orphanage. But what truly sets the story apart is Morrison's intentional decision to leave the racial identity of these characters ambiguous. So let's begin with the concept of ambiguity in this short story. How does Morrison's deliberate choice to withhold the racial identity of the characters contribute to our understanding of female perspectives? Morrison's decision creates a space for readers to confront their own biases and assumptions. By making Twyla and Roberta racially ambiguous, she compels us to focus on the essence of their characters rather than preconceived notions tied to race. This choice opens the door for a deeper exploration of the universal aspects of the female experience. Now, I asked Danny this yesterday when he finished the story, and I said, did you picture any of these girls a certain race? I actually did not, but uh, I was a little biased because I had the chance to have a quick peek on Gabby's notes for the show. Even though I told them not to. And it, and, and it just popped up. And one of the words that I saw was racial. So I assumed that there would be some type of gender involvement, right? Racial. Uh, ra racial involvement, I'm sorry. Um, but... It ended up being really hard for me. So um, going through the story, I know I did not picture any specific races associated with one of the two characters, but I was trying to, um, for me, it was not really clear which race one or the other had. And that was my pre-assumption going in, right? I was looking for reference points that would give me an indication of, would you be black or would you be white or maybe like another race or maybe they're both black or maybe they're both white or yeah. etc yeah so i did not really think about that but unfortunately i had to peek onto your notes so i was a little biased going into it so i was looking for references without that i wouldn't have even looked for any type of references so for me it was just like a nice story um and there were certain things and <laughs> there was like i think one episode specifically where the reader will try very hard to align their expectations with what they are reading and saying okay the one mother is coming in with like a six by six inch cross described by like out of the child's perspective right so like a big cross on her chest she brings food um and the other one and she's praying while her kid is eating and the other one is like dressed inappropriately for going to the church and that for me was really one of the points where I was thinking about, okay, like, which one fits one or the other race better, but I couldn't really make a decision based on that, because I know that it can be true for both. Yeah, and that's like, when I first read the story, I had a really hard time trying to put them in, in boxes, like, 
oh, are they both black? Are they both white? Or or you, you can argue so many things and like the names don't help you and like the descriptions don't help you. And then I read it again and I was like, you know what? It's probably on purpose. And then I read online and I looked up some papers and yeah, it's true. Like Toni Morrison wanted us to focus more on the friendship of these two women than their race. But there are some things that when you're reading, you're like, oh my God, I am biased in thinking that this is a black attribute or this is a white attribute. And it's like, well, all of these attributes are for women, period. Like it's, it has nothing to do with race. And there's one really cool citation that I just want to bring up here. Um, that this story is basically intended as an experiment in the removal of all racial codes from a narrative about two characters of different races for whom racial identity is crucial. And it's saying it's an experiment, right? And the subject of that experience is actually the reader, which is clear now if you think about it in the in the aftermath, right? You read it and you're like, huh, I would have guessed maybe this race, maybe that race. And then you're really trying to find out, okay, what what is your result and what is the result based on? Because you are the subject, right? So it's like your experience, your personal experience, one or the other race, that goes into the judgment of what attributes you assign to which character. Right. It's a reflection of your own bias. That's uh, that's why she's such a great writer. And so I have to absolutely agree. And with Twyla and Robert, Roberta's friendship being central to the narrative, my next question was, how does Morrison use this relationship to explore the complexities of female friendship and the impact of societal expectations? This short story is a nuanced exploration of female friendships. Twyla and Roberta's bond is marked by shared experiences, but it's also affected by societal expectations and the racial tensions of the time. Morrison's deftly highlight Morrison deftly highlights the fragility of relationships when external pressures come into play, shedding light on the challenges women face in maintaining connections amidst societal expectations. And I think that's so true because I've seen, you know, so many fun TikToks where these two little kids are different races and they both get the same haircut and they're like, oh, and now nobody can tell us apart. You know, with kids, they don't see that. They don't feel that tension. But then as you grow up, all these external pressures in society start adding up, start telling you how you should act towards certain people, how you should let in certain people or be or not be with, you know, groups. And I think it's so important to highlight that these girls, their friendship didn't come out of like, hey, we're both this race, but it's like, hey, we're both experiencing this together. And it shows how Morrison is renowned for her exploration of race and identity. And therefore, it shows, you know, like, how does this short story contribute to the broader conversation about race, especially from the female perspective? In Recitative, Morrison challenges stereotypes and forces readers, like you said, Danny, to confront their assumptions about race by deliberately leaving the racial identity of the characters ambiguous, 
she emphasizes the universality of the female experience while underscoring the arbitrary nature of racial distinctions. The story becomes a platform for questioning societal norms and reflecting the shared struggles that women face regardless of racial background. And I put this to the test with my own friends, thinking of, you know, what our friendships and what them as women face that is very similar to what I face or very opposite to what I face. For example, you know, like one of my best friends, she's Casper White. Um, but she and I always talk about our shared experiences as women, you know, like how people talk to us, how people regard us especially like this past year um we both had an incident in um dc and just even how like the you know police officers were talking to us as if we did anything wrong we were just trying to protect ourselves right mm -hmm. where the officer was like well next time like don't say anything don't do anything like you'll you just made it worse for yourself you instigated the situation and that wasn't even true even though we're all racially and ethnically different, that shared experience of being a woman would have been exactly the same. And it was exactly the same. Also, you know, let's go even further. So last, uh, the last two years, we were living in Germany. And I had to say that when I first moved there, I knew very very little german and yet i can say that i got to talk to um some of danny's girlfriends and we bonded over a lot of similar shared experiences as women and we created a friendship you know because being a woman is universal coming back to the story right and coming back to what um tony really tries to express and i think that's a good one to to add on here it's like uh like women really playing this game of like racial identity um or are they not because they don't have to and they don't have to play against each other right and i think that's part of the message from her book too like don't start to play the game like it's not you are not playing against each other right like the rules aren't even for you right it's in this game that we play that's life a lot of the rules don't even benefit us as women so why do we pit ourselves against each other when it comes to race like clearly we both need to be united we both need to be together in reference to twyla and roberta as their dynamic you know changes and shifts and comes together as the story goes on which leads me to explain what the title means because you know in her other stories there um the title's a bit more obvious um but for those of you who don't know the title recitative suggests a musical element it actually comes from a musical term and this is how morrison uses the metaphor to convey the female experience in the story she uses the term recitative uh which draws from musical traditions, specifically opera, where it denotes a type of vocal composition that lies between singing and speaking. In the context of this story, though, it becomes a metaphor for the blurred lines in female experiences, moments where words and actions merge, creating a unique narrative melody that echoes the complexity of being a woman. 
which got me thinking about the astronaut that went into space this last week and she had her friendship bracelets you know it, it started out as like a really big swifty thing where you would like trade friendship bracelets and i know i talk about like taylor swift almost every episode but you know like in her captions she's like uh in her photos she wrote like in the year of the Barbie movie, an astronaut going into space and like trading bracelets with one another and, you know, little girls writing into the uh, into her like personal messages being like, hey, can you wear a sparkly dress? Can you wear this color? Um, can you make this friendship bracelet? And she is a Latina and uh, she's an astronaut and she's a woman and the experience of being a woman is so universal, even though she is, you know, Latina, even though she is an astronaut. She's a woman at the end of the day. And she was able to show like, yeah, astronauts can wear sparkles. Astronauts can wear Swifty inspired friendship bracelets. It's such a such a wonderful way of showing how womanhood, yes, has complexities that bond us, but also has incredible things that bring us together like friendship bracelets and being an astronaut and you know being an inspiration to younger generations with all that being said as we wrap up our discussion what can we tell our listeners to take away from the exploration of the female perspectives in recitative i think that this story challenges us to embrace the complexity of female experiences, transcending racial and society expectations. It urges us to look beyond surface level differences and recognize the shared humanity that unites women. Morrison invites us to question our assumptions and engage in a more nuanced conversation about identity and womanhood. And more so, I want to say that I want you guys to really, really read the story. I did not want to do a summary this episode because it's a short story, one. And two, when you read the story, you're going to understand what I'm talking about. Mostly in the sense that being a friend with another woman will be that bond forever, regardless of their race, regardless of their age, of their ethnicity, what language they speak, like, a friendship with a woman, especially when you go through so many beautiful things and so many hard things, um, is wonderful. And this story just, she wrote it so well. I, I just could not summarize it. I would i would not be doing it any justice. It's so true. But the, the main concept of the book is about the two girls, right? And then you have like, they have basically five different encounterments. And it's really nice to see how different they treat each other and what their thoughts are and how maybe some innocence and naivety goes out of the thinking over the time maturing and then always facing each other in like very different stages of life so it starts when both of them are eight and it ends when both of them are married and they have like a son in high school or that's about to go to college right and so you get like all those episodes and different encounterments and they treat each other differently based on what was going on in society and even the short story talks about like IBM executives right so it was like kind of this like first tech boom back in the days um so 
really well written all around like the economic and social constructs of that time. Exactly. And I have to say that instead of splitting the story into being only about race or just women connections, the essay says that's not the right way to see it. The essay looks closely at the power balance in women's friendships. It helps us understand the story better and shows how race, class, and gender are all linked together as parts of who we are and how we're treated. Instead of saying it's all about who has power and who doesn't, the essay suggests that in recitative, women's friendships have complicated power stuff going on at all times. This challenges the idea of putting everything into simple categories of who has power and who doesn't. Morrison's story makes us think that friendships based on one person having more power won't last because they go against the caring side of female connections. In short, the essay ends by saying Morrison hints that women can change the usual ideas about how men and women should act by questioning and saying no to the usual power ideas in their relationships. And it got me thinking about how women friendships are about when we pay for things. For example, my best friend, Renee. Going to be girl math. Listen, let me tell you parentheses. Girl math has been proven by multiple economists that this is economic thinking. We are thinking like economists. So you put that in your sock drawer. Anyway, as I was saying, one of my best friends, Renee and I, every time we meet, we have our favorite coffee places and she'll pay for coffee and then I'll pay for lunch and then she'll pay for something at TJ Maxx and then I'll pay for boba and it all evens out in the end you know and sometimes like when I've been struggling when I was in college and pretty broke she would be like oh no I got this and then you know when she was struggling and I wasn't I'd be like no 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 I got this right like it's this nurturing part of us, this caring side of us where we're like, hey, like I'm your friend and I'm not going to be like, well, you can't afford a coffee. So I guess you can't enjoy a coffee with me when we're together. It's kind of like, hey, like I'm going to take care of you because you've also taken care of me, not with the expectation that she will in the future, but with the expectation that she's my friend. She's going through something or it all ends up evening out in the end, you know, like she'll do me a favor or um, she'll ask me to like babysit or I'll pick up something for her and so on and so forth. Like the relationship of with women, I have to say in my experience, isn't like, okay, I pay $50. So you pay $50. It's like, maybe I'll pay $50 and then you pay $5. But then later you'll be like, no, no, no. Remember you paid that big lunch. I'll get this. And it's like a $45 something. And we end up just going back and forth because at the core of women, like, we just want to take care of each other. We just want to, you know, be that village that we talk about um, where we're there for one another. And I think the story really, really, really highlights it of like how sometimes that power struggle will be the enemy because that's what society tells us to. But when we reach into our instinct of, you know, being caring and being there for one another, it all evens out. We end up being friends forever taking care of one another that's the beauty of of being a friend and yeah coming back to the power balance and i feel like as i said there were like those five episodes in the book and you can 
sometimes feel like who is like more in the driver's seat or in like has more power at least from the perspective of um twyla who's telling the story and you can see like how easily like trust can be broken but if you eventually come to the conclusion that you might want to apologize or you might want to go back and keep things in good matter like you can always do that and there will always be an open ear and that's really what the story is about ending on a good note two women living different lives very happily with some casual touch points during their life it's the that power of friendship that keeps them bringing them together you know even when they disagree and they disagree strongly on occasions like very very strongly and yet they hold grace for each other because they're each other's friends of i might not agree with what you're doing but can you tell me why you got to that point Or can you, you know, shed some light into what's going on? And I have to say that for Americans um, who are listening, you, you will get the racial aspect of this story um, because we grow up learning about it so much. And for those of you who haven't, you know, been raised in a, you know, traditional American schooling, I want to give you this little tidbit about literature um, in American stories, race has always been a big deal in American stories, just like tales of contact, self-reliance, and modernism. Back in history, conflicts between Spanish, French, and the Native Americans turned into tensions between white settlers and black Africans. Even though seeing things as just black and white doesn't capture America's mixed race past well, the government has always put people into categories based on skin colors for things like education and marriage. And this has led to racial symbols in early American writing and later turned into ideas about blackness, specifically when we're talking about Toni Morrison and writers of American literature representing fears of white America. I think Frederick Douglass wrote, you know, he isn't writing for his black peers He's writing for his white peers to understand what it's like to be a black person in America. And I think Toni Morrison takes that and puts it in another perspective of I'm writing as a woman so that our readers have to push themselves away from finding racial as the point of conflict um, of race being the point of conflict, but seeing the real true dynamic of a woman and another woman and that friendship, especially with Twyla and Roberta throughout the entire story going back and forth of what are they saying? What are they doing? What does that really look like? And the story plays with the idea that readers want to know the characters' races. People try hard to figure it out, but Morrison wants to show that it's not simple, as we keep saying throughout the podcast. If readers only focus on black and white, they miss so much of the story's meaning. In Recitatif, the story between Twyla and Roberta is also about a woman named Maggie who works in the kitchen. Maggie is such an important character and the story challenges us to see beyond the black and white labels and explore the in-between stories that don't fit into clear categories. And funny thing is the character Maggie, she is mute so it's really funny in the context of that the two characters they were only thinking in black and white right but 
this character was somewhere in between, maybe mixed race. We don't know. Um, but what we do know is that she can't express herself. And I feel like that can also sometimes be reflected, like how the media is working nowadays, or maybe even how the media used to work back then, is that you have those the two biggest groups in the US, right? Black people and white people, on the other hand, um, and all the stuff in the middle sometimes just loses its voice. Yeah, wow, that's, that's such a good point, babe. We really forget that. We're trying so hard, like I said, to figure it out. What box do we fit in? What box should we label ourselves in? Do I fit more with this people or these people? And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I see it in kids and I see how awesome, you know, my godchildren are Cambodian and they have, you know, white friends. And I have one of my best friends. Uh, his son is mixed and you know he has little friends that are of different colors and they don't really care because the truth of it is is that like they can't talk they can't really figure out okay well my struggle is this color struggle and my struggle is that color struggle and we are gonna put each other in each other in these boxes it's more like we both like legos we both like running around and i think that that you know is the core of friendship. Nothing else really matters and everything else is made up. I think what it's important to keep in mind is like to not try to be focused on like certain boxes for different people. It doesn't even matter like what type of race it is because it always feels like you limit the ability um, for them to think about their possibilities to outgrow a certain box, right? And it's also like get it out of your own head because if you think about yourself, in boxes and you think oh i'm like part of this or that race and this or that class it will hinder your ability to make room to think how do i want to progress like in this environment of society and de develop myself right and that's the big promise that you still have like you can have social achievement and rank right. up in your social status kind of like that saying of like judging a fish's ability on how to climb a tree yeah yeah absolutely yeah so yeah if you're a fish don't try to climb a tree but probably try to swim swim up the tree yeah <laughs> well i think today's story was great i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed you reading it it is incredible that you know you got to read this story without any bias without knowing who tony morrison is without knowing what the story was about like you got a full clear read and that's very rare it is and i really have to say like i can totally recommend it just like try to read it it's really nice you it won't take you that long it's like 20 pages so try to enjoy that like on a saturday morning sunday morning with a coffee or something like you get the through in like one two hours yeah and don't forget to check out our description to get the link to the full story um if you enjoyed this episode remember to subscribe to the podcast and please 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 leave us a review it helps us so much and don't forget to follow us on instagram and give us a like at stories of s's and until next time we will keep exploring the diverse stories of incredible and fearless S's. Thank you guys for tuning in. It was so good to have you today. I'm Gabby. And I'm Daniel. And thank you guys so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Tschüss. <laughs>